Lucifer Podcast is brought to you by the Cage Club Network. For all things comics, movies, media, music, and more, check out the Cage Club Network. That's cageclub.me. On Exodus for Podcast, we are Krakoa, a study in dichotomy. Two powerful women from two different worlds. Betsy Braddock, a champion of mutants, psychics, other stuff, being born rich, I guess. Kitty Pride, now Kate Pride, a pirate, a woman from Chicago, like Dylan. And this, of course, <laughs> is Exodus for Podcast. We are Krakoa. That makes me Nico. I'm Dylan. I'm Kyle. I'm Regina. And I'm Jonah. And we hope you survived the experience. Hopefully, like Kate, even though Dylan wanted to kill her on our Fuck Mary Kill episode. Yo, I thought we were getting hot why, for a why, second. Why do we got to like, bring this up? <laughs> well, I thought Jonah was getting hot. He was like, fuck. And I was like, oh, oh, right. I named an episode that. Right, 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 right. <laughs> I have to be real. That Fuck, Mary Kill episode keeps coming up in, in my brain stems because, number one, Sebastian Shaw and Apocalypse, the two of them were like, oh, we've waited. A, is this the week we get to betray? Every, is this betray week? Betray week? It's betray week. Okay, we're going evil today. Everybody, break out your surprise face. And the internet was flooded with all of these comments that were like, well, Daddy A just decided to, well, behave like Daddy A. And Sebastian Shaw pulled a, I guess we have to call it, pulled a Sebastian Shaw. I believe it was Kyle and Dylan who both called this out, especially with the, uh, not a copalypse, apocalypse, or as he likes to be called now, A. Oh, no, no, hold on. I absolutely need a copalypse. And I need, like, police stress sinister. Wait, no, I don't know why he immediately turned into a drag queen. I have to go. Mr. Sinister does Moira Apocalypse drag every Thursday night down at the Grey Malkin Bar in Queens. In the Avalon Habitat. He gets up there and he does candor and ebb for everybody. He had the gun. He had the gun. It's very exciting. What is happening? I don't know how to react. (laughs) Well, I mean, Bobby is a future drag race guest judge so okay so that's where i want to start with this motherfucker this week good god good god good god okay jerry dugan we had some moments buddy where i was not sure i cared about your book i believe i referred to it as the whiny man pain book one week that third issue not my shit brother you pulled it out this was the finest issue of marauders ever if for no other reason he served up the homo realness I would like to know, one, at the time of us recording this, season 12 of Drag Race was recently announced, so full timing, full disclosure, that's hysterical. Only number two, I appreciate the reference, but Drag Race films months in advance. So no, Bobby could not be making an appearance on Drag Race next week. He could be filming, not exactly, but still, really great nod to the homos. Who here, show of hands on this podcast, was surprised when Apocalypse and Sebastian Shaw turned on everybody? Oh, no one can see any hands go up? Yeah, no one's surprised. No one, no one. Well, I mean, this is a podcast, not video cast, so... Kyle, <laughs> nobody asked for you to come in and edit the document. <laughs> we don't allow logic on here. You're not new to the show. <laughs> 
there's something, and it's honestly, I swear, it's not that I try to bring it up, but with Rogue talking about babies are not babies and Apocalypse being like, absorb me. Like, I'm sorry, <laughs> but Apocalypse made Rogue take his seed and it was so traumatizing. She's like, I never want that to happen again, Gambit. And Gambit was like, actually, I've had Apocalypse's seed in me as well. And I am pretty technically on your side with this one yes so i have so loved this first wave of dawn of x but we are officially at the precipice of the second wave of dawn of x this past week marvel announced that there would be a new book written by vita ayala with covers from rb silva and interior art by bernard chang the book is titled children of the atom the initial cover that was released showcases cyclops angel marvel girl nightcrawler and gambit and then a few hours later marvel released a second cover which showcases five characters that we've never seen before but one of them looks very similar to archangel one of them looks like a female version of cyclops there's a beefy man that looks like a version of marvel girl a version of nightcrawler and an african-american woman that looks like gambit I literally just said we need more beefy daddy bods. So it's like Marvel was like, hey, Marvel guy, you want a beefy daddy Marvel girl? Let me see what I can do. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just always horny for jeans. <laughs> okay, besides Nico's horniness, what were your guys' thoughts on these covers? Some initial descriptions of the book describe that these are five brand new characters that are basically going to be in a sidekick type of role to the five characters that they are resembling. Okay. So I, I, uh, 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 <laughs> thick Gene Marvel boy psych, give that to me. Sorry, Kyle, please go. I really love these covers. I mean, the way that they released the first cover and then followed it up with these new characters, but in incredibly similar positions, it just really was a, it was really well done. I liked that connection between the two sets of characters like that. Regina, what were your thoughts on... I specifically want to ask what your thoughts are, because I think you posted a lot online about the female Gambit. What are your thoughts on her? She is completely and totally hot. (laughs) (laughs) And I I am really excited to see more of her. I guess just the aesthetic. First of all, I'm not really... Even though I totally love Rogue and Gambit as a couple, I've never been a huge Gambit fan. But something about her aesthetic and how confident she is, and hopefully she won't have the smarminess that he kind of has... (laughs) (laughs) had attached to his character for a long time. She just looks really confident and really powerful. I'm ready to see her rock. I'm ready to see what she's going to do with this role and whatever powers that she ends up having, I'm ready to see it. I would like to thank very special friend of the pod, Vita, for giving me everything I wanted in another Nightcrawler S character. I am very excited. Quick question. Is the one for Jean Grey, do we know if that is a male character or a female character, non-binary character? Do we know? We don't know anything about them yet, but it's interesting that you bring that up. There is three different covers that were released this past week that show these five new characters. And there was one that was created by artist Todd Nock that has the sidekick for Cyclops front and center and the two previous images, low very female. But Todd Knox 
image, the Cyclops psychic comes off very masculine looking. And as Nico has mentioned online and in our conversations, with Vita writing this book, I am kind of hoping that one of these characters will be non-binary and... I'm thinking it might be the Cyclops one. And I would love that. I really, really, really would love that added diversity into the X-Men, who's already a parallel for diversity. I wish one of the characters given a psychic was another female, just to balance the ratio a little more. Not that I don't think Jean Grey deserves everything in life. I'm dating the biggest Jean Grey fan in the entire world, so I have to. But I think it would have been really nice to give another character a compatriot. I am kind of happy that Angel does get one, only because we haven't seen Angel at all so it would be nice to mix up the character roster a little bit to give someone else a little more panel time. I also want to know why Archangel's sidekick looks like a member of Voltron. (laughs) (laughs) It's going to be made up of five different smaller angels (laughs) combined into one. I did just want to point out that I really love the fact that the Jean Grey sidekick has like a Lucha Libre mask on, so... I don't know. Yes, it's such a good mask. Never thought I wanted a Jean Grey Lucha Libre character until now, (laughs) and now I'm happy that we have it. Also recently announced was the return of X-Factor. The title is going to be written by Leah Williams and will have art by David Baldion. This book, I think, makes all of us very happy, and I know it's going to make a lot of LGBT fans of X-Men books happy because this book is consisting of Polaris, Rachel, Northstar, Dakin, Prodigy, and iBoy. That's a whole lot of gay on one team. (laughs) I'm sure you guys are super surprised with everything you know about how much I love Wolverine and about how much I love gay subversive culture. You guys know that I am freaking out with excitement over iBoy. So I'm really excited. What? What? No. What? No. No, no. Oh my God. No. Okay. So I actually, <laughs> what? Please don't tell me that you love iBoy like you do dupe. No, I actually find iBoy kind of unsettling to look at. Oh, thank I'm God. I'm no a big fan of his. Thank God. It's like one of the few characters that I'm kind of like, uh, Jason Aaron's Wolverine and the X-Men, you let me down. It's like the only way, actually. <laughs> I am a gigantic, I mean, I since Dylan and I met, I think one of our first conversations was how much I loved the New Mutants Volume 2 cast. And then when Prodigy continued to resurface, he's so hot and he's so dreamy and he's so smart. He's so clever and capable and he's used so dexterously in every run he's in I always want better for my precious Dokken my sweet sweet my sweet sweet two claw I always want so good for my sweet sweet two claw (laughs) and then I'm just generally always concerned when you get a bunch of Austin characters in one place that it's going to turn into like a let's shit on that era fest. Having Polaris, Northstar, and Rachel who made her comeback in Prisoner of Fire and played a role in the reload shortly after. This seemed kind of prime for that pump the 2004 to 2006 well again. I'm a little nervous, a little uncomfortable about it, but I think one of the things they've told us is this book is going to deal with the psychological elements of resurrection. Yeah, one description of the book, it made it kind of sound like they will slightly still be very 
much like X-Factor Investigations because they will be dealing with a lot closely with the five and mutants that may have passed away. Like that whole interaction of finding out if there is certain mutants that have been dead long enough to be resurrected and not necessarily resurrecting them too soon. I absolutely love this premise. We've had a number of instances already where we have kind of a cutaway to Sage where when a mutant has died and we just have to get a verification from her saying, that they've actually died but actually having a team go out and investigate why what might have happened so that they aren't breaking the rules is fascinating it it really builds this world up even more for me with dawn of x i really can't wait until there's a time where they do think that someone is dead so then they go ahead and resurrect them and put all of their memories in them and then like what the ramifications are going to be of like having two genes or two storms or something like do you just kill the newest one oh <laughs> why did you start with killing storms <laughs> <laughs> be having two storms would be awesome we already had Bloodstorm. okay so i'm really sorry we actually have to shut down the show now and regina and i are going to start a Bloodstorm fan cast where all we do is talk about Mutant X and Bloodstorm and the Goblin Queen. I'm really grateful that you all came out. We Are Krakoa has been a phenomenal experiment. And wait, I wait, enjoyed can, you all. Can I be a part of that and talk about Fallen? Because Fallen is my I knew you'd love Fallen. Favorite, I don't, I'm going to flip this table. Favorite version of Angel. I didn't Angel. mention him. No. No. <laughs> no. And green frog version of Beast that's named Brew. And then it's just straight up Alex. So, you know, terribly misused. So, guys, check out Mutant X. It's this weird little series by Howard Mackey where Havoc's in an alternate universe and he's the Scott and he's married to Madeline. So, you need to check that out. Okay, so I'm looking at this X-Factor cover and first, I really love this DNA strand that there are, all the characters are kind of aligned on. I really love Prodigy. I'm so happy he's part of this team. And I really love Rachel. I really want her to really come into her own because for a long time, I just feel like she's been underplayed, under utilized or misused she's a powerhouse and i don't think that anybody's given her the props that she deserves so i'm really excited to see her and lorna together on this team north star of course i'm really excited so i'm kind of hoping given how many of these characters are lgbtq I'm really hoping that actually Rachel will go ahead and just come out. She, She's just had so much queer coding that I, I really want to see that come to the forefront. But either way, whether that happens or not, just this premise of X Factor going out and looking into the resurrection protocols and what they're going to be doing with that, I think that's really going to give Rachel an opportunity to shine and use her powers in ways maybe that we haven't seen before and, and to show how powerful she actually really is. So that's just my thoughts on this book. Me being me in class to the Jonah fashion. I barely know anybody on this list, so I'm excited to be introduced to new people. The only person I do know is Polaris, and noticeably, she's Polaris. And I do mean this, I don't know anybody else, but I do know, I'm not trying to be rude, but it looks like a queer cast. And I am here for that. 
I do like when character like you know you look at something you're like oh that's gonna be gay I like I love it <laughs> like certain TV shows like you would watch certain TV shows for like one gay kiss that happens for three seconds and you're like that's worth it you get into the Spice Girls because you look at them and you go pretty gay and like they're, they're gonna be gay right like you look at X-Men and you go this might be kind of gay and then like you, you, you take a look at this cover and you're like it's kind of rainbowy. Everybody's dressed kind of cute, but also like they had a little too much bondage influence when they grew up. It's pretty gay. They gave Eye Boy every single one of his eyes has a different color. Yes, I know that's pretty that. gay. <laughs> that's pretty gay. <laughs> no, it's not. But what I was going to say is. Everyone is a different color. It is kind of like a rainbow in a different order, but it is still rainbow-ish, which is hysterical. So we are so here for LGBTQ X Factor. It is going to be the gayest alphabet to ever fuck the mutant island of Krakoa. Here on this podcast, we are announcing the new name for our community is the LGBTQ X Factor. Welcome everybody, allies, <laughs> gays, mutants, bi's, pans, pots. Sabertooth. <laughs> <laughs> no, Sabretooth is not welcome. Sabretooth goes down the hole. <laughs> Whose hole? A K-hole. <laughs> we definitely just fell down this K-hole, yes. Everybody, you shall be receiving your new membership cards. They will be there within the week. If you have not, please contact your gay representative for your city, and we'll get to work on that for Or you. meet us at the meeting. I wanted to say I am super excited about this book for the art also because David Baldion, he, last year or the year prior, he was the main artist on the Domino book and I got to meet him at C2E2 last year and he is a huge X-Men fan and just a shout out to another Facebook group that I have. Everyone that does know that I have the X-Men group House of X for X-Men fans. I have all these tiny, smaller groups that are specialized for certain characters. I do have one that is called House of Domino, and both David being the artist of Domino's book last year and the writer Gail Simone are both a member of that group, and they absolutely both love X-Men characters, and so I know David is going to have a ton of fun on this book. That's so cool. That is, uh, and I love, 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 love every time Gail Simone gets her hands on Deadpool or Domino. Those are just, that's a can't-miss combination in every regard, in many ways. The cultural perception of Deadpool as it exists is the work of Gail Simone, almost kind of exclusively. Prior to her work, the character was much crueler and harder. The guy that can lead Disney movies, the guy who sells hoodies to six-year-olds, the world owes that to Gail Simone. I have made no secret of it on this show that I am like top tier number one. Give me all the Captain Britain. He's one of my forever husbands. I love him so much. He's such a ridiculous character and his mythos is just as important and his side character is even more important. Betsy getting a chance to carry the mantle of Captain Britain has been exciting. But now we have Captain Britain Betsy Braddock and Lionheart Brian Braddock. For those of you unfamiliar, the way it works is essentially in a moment of great crisis, a twilight of decision, you are reached out to and given the choice of the sword or the amulet. If you take the sword, supposedly nothing happened. But if you took the amulet, you became Captain Britain. It was ultimately revealed that if you took the sword, you became 
a Lionheart. Much retconning later, the Lionhearts and the Captain Britons went to war. The war ultimately decimated the core on both sides, and the Captain Britain mythos hasn't really had a whole lot of development in a whole 20-something years, although we've seen a lot of development for the characters. This incredible reimagining of the twins as these twin forces is just about the most fulfilled I've felt by an issue of Excalibur since Warren Ellis was the writer. This is bar none maybe my favorite time to be a Brian, Betsy, or Excalibur fan. My heart swells with joy. I mean, I just kind of didn't need the heteronormative rogue gambit stuff. Like, it just didn't hit for me. But then again, I don't have their concerns. And for people who can identify with those concerns, I'm sure it was a little bit realer, I just maybe need everybody to matter all the time. Whether it was Jamie bringing Brian back from the dead or Betsy being amazing, I just kind of can't stop talking about the Braddocks. So I'm going to turn this over (laughs) to anyone else because otherwise this will just be a Braddock podcast. As not a giant or obsessed Braddock fan as Nico, I was happy to see the Gambit and Rogue interaction. Mainly just because I know I've mentioned it a few times, I think other people have too. So far, Excalibur has seemed like the Betsy Braddock show with her backup singers, Gambit, Jubilee, Richter, Apocalypse, and Rogue. But Rogue wasn't even being a backup singer. She slept through most of the show. I'm happy to see Rogue and Gambit be together like this because it's giving a perspective that we aren't really seeing right now in the Dawn of X books. Usually most of the time when it comes to X-Men titles of the past couple of decades, the romance that we get to see a lot of is Scott and Jean or Scott and Emma. And now we have these two that got recently married and had their own title for a while, but they're dealing in this new world together on Krakoa and in the world that deals with Krakoa, they are still thinking about these rules of maybe making more mutants. And I think it's a nice change from the Betsy Braddock show. And to these two characters that are huge fan favorites, I'm glad we got to see them in their little skinny dipping hot tub time. (laughs) Hot tub baby chat. Oh, no, 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 no. No. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> okay. And if I could just speak a little bit more on that, I really loved the scene of them in the hot tub together, specifically because they are addressing Rogue's autonomy. And women are so often judged okay, do you have any kids? Do you have one kid? Do you have two kids? Why don't you have more than one kid? Why don't you want any kids? And she kind of gives a voice to, you know, we are not broodmares. <laughs> Like, we're not just here for breeding. And that's that's a choice that we make either by ourselves or with our partner. And they should be talking about it. This is something that is part of being a couple, whether you're gay or straight. And it's going to be her body that's going to be the one that's carrying whatever it is that they decide to do. So just to see her speaking on that and to do it in a way that's not like, oh, children suck, which is something that I frequently hear, is that, you know, she's just talking to herself, what she wants wants and what she needs and what she's ready to do with her life and take control over herself, which given her power set, she's had this long, tragic life of her powers coming in and out of of working and not working and being able to control it and then not being able to control it. And will she ever be able to have a relationship with this man that she has loved for many years now? And so for her to say, you know, I'm taking control of my own destiny. I don't want to have to have babies just because everybody wants me to have a baby and we're married. That doesn't mean that I'm just going to pop 
swap one out. And I love that they kind of talked about it before. And then she said, you know what? I don't want that. Maybe I did want that, but I don't want that. And I'm not ready for that. And, you know, that's just the way that I am for this moment. I really did love this interplay. And, you know, where Gambit starts talking about, well, it would be a good reason to spend our time fooling around. And she's like, we need an excuse for that. Come on. So that was really cute. But I I did like to see kind of that that play between them and then her really taking control of who and what she wants in her life. Speaking further on Rogue, I really loved the way that she acted during the opening battle, the way that she told Gambit that he doesn't need to worry about her, that she's able to take care of herself, especially after all these issues where all we've had was Gambit just going around complaining about not being able to take care of her. It is pretty nice to see that. I'm not a huge Gambit fan, but I do like how the main reason that I'm not a Gambit fan is because he's just has always been written as a giant sleazeball. And I feel like once Gambit and Rogue got married and then throughout their Mr. and Mrs. X title, we have finally gotten to see a softer side of Gambit. And yes, it is coming off a little man needs to protect woman type of thing. But I like that we are finally seeing the side of Gambit that he's, again, just not being a sleazeball. He's He's just wanting to protect her because he is so much in love with her and he's just finally letting that be expressed, but it's just not coming out in the right way. She would kind of feel the same towards him though, because you, when you're married or even when you're dating and you have love and care for your partner, you do want to protect them. I do think he came off a little whinier than he should have, but he is the one that sent Rachel to kind of pull Rogue out of whatever sleep thing that she was in. But I do think that it's important that she voice, hey, I'm still capable. I'm still the person I was before we got married and I can still handle things on my own. I think Gambit represents something that a lot of men need to take a step back and consider. If comics have been written predominantly by men this entire time and a man ever feels a character is behaving out of their norm, specifically a woman when being written by a woman, it might be worth it to consider if this is an actual opportunity being taken for a woman's voice to shine through in the character it should have always shined through through and i think getting a chance to see gambit kind of realize it's not the gambit show because it somehow is always the fucking gambit show rogue is so much more special than gambit rogue is so much more fucking like i'm not a gambit fan like i'm not and like He's so cool looking and like I think Channing Tatum would make a great Gambit because he's got a big fucking face. And I think Gambit needs a big face to feel like that weird like side divider thing because like he's always covering part of his face like he's in a kabuki show. And I'm like I don't think you should do that. You've got a big fucking face. So I think Channing Tatum with that big sexy face is going to do a fine job. A fine job. So but I'm not a Gambit fan. I'm a big Rogue fan. I just love Rogue. And it's so indicative of what we expect of women and the role women play in fiction that Rogue, whose powers are far more interesting than Gambit's, 
other than Mike Carey's run on early X-Men, I can't think of too many runs where Rogue's struggle is an external struggle that matches that of a male hero. No, Gambit, right now is about me. You can't come in and be my knight and make it about you without devaluing me. And I feel like we're kind of seeing an evolution of the perspective of Gambit and Rogue's relationship in terms of the dynamics and the page space. Gambit had a pretty interesting moment, but this really was always about Rogue, whether or not she was awake. That's something that Rogue usually can't claim. I love how at the beginning of this, you talked a lot about Betsy and how you were going to say, I I don't really care that much about Gambit and Rogue, and then it just became the Gambit and Rogue show. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, because I love Brian and Betsy. That's a pretty clear-cut thing. It's cool. Yay. Yay, twinsies. So, like, everybody's happy there. But this Gambit and Rogue thing, it was two pages that generated a significant amount of gender discussion, and I think that's really vital. I don't want to just talk about the things I love because I love them. I want to talk about the things I love because understanding what I love helps me understand how to make things I don't love better. And I feel like I understand this Rogue Gambit sequence way better having listened to a bunch of people discuss it. And I still think that somehow Gambit is like, do you know what it is? Gambit is like a sixth. That constantly takes home nines, but Rogue is like a 10 that you have to convince isn't a four every day. And I just don't know why that is, right? Like, it's beautiful. Please be your 610 love, but like, please stop pretending that one of you is the special one. So. <laughs> Speaking of special, oh good God, speaking of special, Marauders this week was something else. Jonah, you were like reactionary about Marauders. You knew that like my whole world was Excalibur and the first thing you hit me up to do was talk about Marauders. So talk to me a little bit about your thoughts on the great Sebastian Shaw betrayal, who I think we should now start referring to him as Unshuffle Chaotic. (laughs) I'm just going to call him Sebi. Or we could call him- He's a Seb-missive. Dylan's sexy daddy from that fuck Mary kill episode but anyway let's move on I have a lot of questions and it's mostly not not like bad questions it's more like interesting and pondering questions like how does Sebastian think he's gonna get, get away with this it's pretty hard to fool a lot of people on Krakoa filled with so many different psychics and so many different protocols and things I really can't imagine that this is gonna go over well for him but I'm excited for that part I'm also very fascinated to know what would happen if Pyro goes through a Krakoan portal because he has Yellow Jacket inside of him. Does Yellow Jacket just pop out? Is he going to go inside of Krakoa? There's something wrong here because I'm pretty sure that's not a mutant in there inside of Pyro. Huh. So what would happen if Pyro went through a gate? Because, uh, uh, yeah, um, because, wait, because it's magic, and, like, I don't remember them being, like, but not subatomic magic. Um, um. I feel, I I feel like the reason they specifically attacked the Marauders to implant Yellow Jacket in one of them is because I, I feel like they knew that the Marauders don't necessarily always use the portals, but who knows? But also, they also picked the wild child one, and I imagine that that's also not going to turn out too well. But they didn't get much of a choice because you kind of just get whoever you stuck your sword with. Oh my god, no wait, if one of them realizes, holy shit, hear me out, this is so fucked up. But if Kate's like, I don't know which one of you has the spy, Kate's just going to kill all of them. Well... I feel like Kate can just phase through all of them and short-circuit their technology and have him die inside of somebody else. But sure, 
But I mean, like, she can be like, I don't trust anyone. Bang, 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 bang. And they, they just have to come back. Well, I mean, that's all. If, uh... That's a bit the dark. End of, yeah, it's a bit dark, but... <laughs> it all depends on... Bang! Bang, bang, bang! <laughs> it all depends on what the actual resolution of the end of this this issue turns out to be. And it's gonna be a happy ending because Marvel doesn't want to make me upset over it. But there was a lot of interesting things going on. I thought the fight sequence was pretty interesting. I give Hominus Verandi a little more credit. However, I still don't think it's going to work out for them, mostly because Yellow Jacket is too afraid to transmit any of the data he's found, if you read his log, which is one of the funniest things in the world. When someone has so much wealth, they don't understand certain customs of less wealthy people it was that same idea where he didn't understand like these mutants act like humans like they're not doing anything weird they're surprised about a room and how there's much so much more extra space in here why is the closet only full of white oh he's just watching rick and morty now because of course he is (laughs) yeah i did want to point that out earlier when we brought up iceman bringing up rupaul's drag race not only did that make RuPaul's Drag Race be a part of Marvel canon, now Rick and Morty is also a part of Marvel canon. Oh boy. I would imagine Emma has a form of a psychic rapport with Kitty, in that if something happens to Kitty, Emma's gonna know. And when Emma finds out, I don't want to be around- well no, I do want to watch, but I don't want to be around. (laughs) Because I feel like Emma is going to psychically rip Shaw limb from limb before the council gets to him, and they're gonna be like, Emma, you you, you can't do this, and she would be like, what? I didn't do anything. No, never. <laughs> Kyle, did you throw up a little when they tried to kill poor baby Lockheed? I was so mad. <laughs> I yelled no at my comic. We we still don't know what happened to Lockheed. Maybe we're going to wind up on the lock hunt. Oh, oh, I need Lockheed to be safe. Yeah, I wasn't surprised that he threw Kate overboard, but seeing him throw Lockheed overboard, I was like, no. <laughs> That's just cruel. Christian is going to be super pissed if he finds out that Shaw used him against Emma. Like, I don't want to know what's going to happen at that point. (laughs) First, I do think that Emma does have some type of psychic link with Kitty. The way that they were acting in the last issue, it wouldn't make sense for her to not have some type of psychic link with her. Oh, I for sure agree. I don't think there's any chance that with Kitty not being able to Krakoa portal around, they would let her be on her own. Yeah. Right. They kind of go through this whole timeline of how Shaw has tried to manipulate the situation. And I'm sure that Christian doesn't know that Shaw was just kind of messing with him. So when he finds it, it's like, don't piss off the Frost siblings, okay? (laughs) The only people that are allowed to kill Frost siblings are Frost siblings. Even though from the Fuck, Mary Kill episode, I said I wanted to sleep with Shaw. I'm not saying that I absolutely am in love with everything that he does. I will say, though, that I am enjoying this Shaw because this is the type of Shaw that we knew when we were first introduced to him. I feel like in the past couple of years, especially a few years ago when Shaw kind of had like some sort of I think brain problem or issues where he was kind of a good guy and he was on Generation Hope with Hope Summers and her little team of people. We haven't seen Shaw at his best in quite some time. Um, so this is... I mean, after the brain problem. <sighs> Shut up, Nico. <laughs> Shaw being in control of 
lots of different hands moving around on basically the chessboard of Krakoa. This, even though he's a villain and throwing Kate in the ocean, and even though I don't necessarily like her, that's sad. It's nice to see him being the Black King that he is and showing what kind of powers come with that title. It requires a ruthlessness, a cunning, an unkindness that outwardly Krakoa refuses. But more and more internally, it seems like Krakoa is run on a series of don't do the things that we say not to do so we can secretly do them in the back room. So this week, besides covering these two great issues, which I think were really great ends to their title first wave, we also talked about some of the upcoming titles in it. Kyle, what are we covering next week? Next week, it looks like we will be covering X-Men number five, Fallen Angels number six, and New Mutants number six. But until next time, you can find me on both Twitter and Instagram at Drantus82. Dylan, where can everybody find you? Everybody can find me on Facebook at my X-Men Facebook group that Regina helps me moderate. That is titled House of X. Or you can find me on Instagram at Warpath underscore Dylan. That is Warpath underscore D-Y-L-A-N. Regina, where can everybody find you? You can find me on Twitter at the Red Queen underscore G or Instagram at the Red Queen underscore on underscore IG. Jonah, where can everybody find you? You can find me changing my wardrobe to be completely white and being a guest judge on RuPaul's Drag Race, if only. Or you can find me on Twitter and Instagram until that dream comes true at Peak Jonah. Nico, where can everybody find you? I'm just going to be drawing Captain Britain and Lionheart fan art, but I have to remind you guys, I have the ability to draw stick figures, so it comes off real offensive. Or you guys can check me out all over this amazing network, whether it's on this show and its many feeds, or HTML, where right now we're covering Star Wars in great detail, along with two of these guys. We've got Jonah and Dylan up, and we have way more guests to follow. Don't forget to check me out on Instagram at NicoAction, that's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N, or on our online portals like wearecrocoa.com or kidriotcomics.com where you can check out my super cool, super inclusive superhero comics. Okay, I think that's everything. And until we next cross through the gateway. Oh my God, I loved those fast growing plants. How did I forget this? I love the fast growing seeds. Good job, Sebastian. <clears throat> what? And until why, we ne- why, why are you Why are you giving him props? Because he found some pretty cool seeds, bro. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if it's apocalypses or fast growing. Yes. Cool seed is cool seed. Sebastian giving Kate his seed is amazing. Ew. <laughs> Ew. I'm so f- I'm so infrequently stunned into silence. And until we return to find the third seed, Ew. we'll see ya. Bye. Bye. Goodbye. Bye. <laughs>